Our Bible reading today is from Acts 2, verse 1 to 13. If you are, an, if you are able, I invite you to stand as we read from the Word of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Perithians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. You may be seated. G'day church, great to see you. Uh, For those watching online, so glad that you could join us. My name's David, one of the pastors here, and it's a special warm welcome to you, especially if you're visiting. I want to begin with a question. Uh, Do you have a favourite sport? You have a favourite sport? Yeah, what is it? Rugby league. league. Anyone else? Badminton? Yeah, mine is, uh, mine's Australian rules football. Uh, It's not working, so can you put, put to the next slide for me? Mine's Australian rules football. Anyone else likes Australian rules football? Yeah? Um, Have you ever watched a game of Aussie rules with someone who doesn't know the rules, doesn't know the game? Uh, It's fun just to let them watch for a while without explaining the rules, and they like just sit there bewildered trying to work out what the heck is going on. They're like, next slide please. They're like, okay, so if you hit the ball through, if you kick the ball through the goals, you you get a goal, you get a point. No, no, you get six points. Okay, six points. Uh, if, you, if you kick the ball, it hits the post and it goes through, like every other game in the world, you still get six points. You still get uh, six points. No, you get one point. Right, you get one point. Now, if you miss the goals, what happens? Well, you get a point. What, you get a point for missing? No other game in the world do you get a point for missing. Well, yeah, you get a point for missing. It's Aussie rules. Or what if the ball uh, hits the two smaller posts? Well, you get nothing. Why? Well, because you missed. Uh, Can you pick up the ball and and run with it? Yes, you can, but you've got to bounce it every 15 metres. What? You've got to bounce an oval ball. Yeah, it's Aussie rules. Uh, And I've noticed that when 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 I watch that you can't make contact with the shoulder, above the shoulders, you can't make contact with the head when you tackle. Yeah, that's right but you can stand on someone's head if you take a mark. The next slide, right? But hang on, no, you said you, said you can't make contact with someone's head. No, you can't when you tackle, but you can stand on someone's head if you want to take a specky. 
right? Now, without an explanation, Aussie rules is bewildering. But as soon as, soon as you explain the rules, it all makes sense, and it's the best game in the world, right? Now, it's like that with the event that we just heard read about in our Bible reading, the day of Pentecost. Together with the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day of Pentecost is the most important set of events in the history of the world. But the event by itself is bewildering. It needs an explanation. The problem is, is that there are a whole lot of explanations floating around about the day, about what happened. What does the event mean? Right? We've got a sound of a violent wind coming from heaven. We have fire descending and landing on each of the disciples. And we have this strange speech. Well, today we're going to look at Pentecost, the event, the explanation, and the effect that it has in our lives some 2,000 years later. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been doing a series in the book of, uh, well, actually not in a book, but in, uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we've been looking at the, the, the promise of the coming of the Spirit. And then today we're looking at the arrival of the Spirit. So firstly, the first point is Pentecost, the event. Have a look with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost was one of the three Jewish festivals in Jerusalem that all uh, male Jews were required to make pilgrimage to every year. And, and that explains why Jews from so many nations were in Jerusalem. Pentecost means, and many people will know this, Pentecost means 50th, that's right. 50th because it came 50 days after the Passover festival. Now, for the first time in history, it comes 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Have a look with me in verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So Jesus had promised he would not leave them as orphans, but that he would come and room with his disciples. And now that is fulfilled in dramatic fashion. The coming of the Spirit was accompanied, as you notice, by three supernatural signs. A sound, a sight, and strange speech. Firstly was a sound like a violent wind. We're told it came from heaven and it filled the room in which the disciples were seated in. Now the word for wind and storm and spirit are the same word. The Holy Spirit is not some gentle breeze. The Holy Spirit is God's stormy, overwhelming, powerful person in the created order. The second supernatural sign was fire, which divides up and lands on each of the disciples. 
Now, if you know your Old Testament, fire accompanied the presence of God when he came before his people. And at the first Pentecost, some 1,500 years before, fire descends on Mount Sinai like a fireball and the mountain shakes. And here, on Pentecost, the fire comes down and divides and divides on each of the disciples. Heaven comes powerfully to earth again, but God is doing something completely new. On the first Pentecost, God gave the law. On this Pentecost, he gives the spirit. Now, we're not told exactly what sort of experience it was for the disciples. We're told that it was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind and what seemed to be tongues of fire. But that's as far as the explanation goes. We're not told the details, are we? Uh, artworks throughout the centuries show how differently people have imagined what this event would look like. Have a look. Throughout the years, people have tried to depict what it might have looked like. Have another one. And another one. And movies also have tried to, tried to depict what this event might have looked like. I want to show you a very brief uh, clip from a movie. No, we're not, we're not told exactly what it looked like. It may have been something like that. That was pretty awesome. Uh, the coming of the Spirit was accompanied by three supernatural signs. A sound, a sight, and then speech. And in Old Testament times, if you know your, your, your Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit descended on people, what happened? They spoke the Word of God. And here, the Holy Spirit descends and the disciples speak the Word of God. But there's a twist, isn't there? What's the twist? They speak languages that they'd never learnt before. Now, right now is ATAR exams, and that would come in very handy, I reckon, right? Don't have to study, walk straight into your French exam and just get 100%. What's going on? Have a look with me in verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So Jerusalem was crowded with Jewish visitors who had come to the festival from all over the known world, and they were utterly amazed at hearing Galileans speak languages from all over the world. Now, Galilee, as you know, was in the north, a long way from the capital, Jerusalem. And people thought that, the, that those from Galilee were uncultured. They were uneducated country hicks. Right? But they're speaking the languages of all the known world. What is happening? The crowd cannot fathom what is happening. 
Their skepticism assumed that this unusual behavior was because they had too much wine. We, the reader, have been told that it's the spirit that has supplied this supernatural enablement, but those in the crowd, they don't know. They're trying to work it out. So that's the event, but the event by itself, without an explanation, is bewildering. You can't just look at the event and go, I know what's happening here. We need an explanation. And there are a whole lot of number of different explanations floating around for what happened. But whatever explanations people give for this Pentecostal experience, the Apostle Peter gives us the inspired, authentic explanation. And he does it in the next few verses. So second point, Pentecost, the explanation. And Peter's explanation has two parts. Explanation number one, the last days have begun. Have a look with me in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. So when someone is intoxicated, what do they sound like? I was going to give an impersonation, but I thought better of it. They slur their words. Their words are jumbled. They don't make sense. You can't understand them. But the astounding thing about this event was that everyone could understand what, what they were saying. That was the point. That was the point. How is it possible for uncultured Galileans to be speaking languages of the whole known world? Well, what does Peter say? He says, next verse, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. When did prophet Joel speak? Hundreds of years before. What did he speak about? He spoke about the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So in these last days, Joel says the spirit will be what? poured out. Now the word poured out there, it means to be a torrential downpour. That's why Jesus referred to it as a baptism of the Spirit. Baptism means to be immersed, to be plunged. God's gift of the Spirit is not a drizzle. It's not a shower. It's an unprecedented deluge, the coming of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, remember, the Spirit had just been distributed to particular people on particular occasions for particular tasks, kings, judges, priests, um, prophets. But the promise is that every person, regardless of age, sex, class, race, will be given the Holy Spirit. And it won't be a drizzle and it won't be a shower. It will be an unprecedented deluge. It would be like nothing that had ever been experienced in the world before. And God's people in the Old Testament would be so envious of someone, a believer, who had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. It was like nothing that they had experienced before. So Pentecost was the demonstration that the Spirit had come, and the Spirit, the arrival of the Spirit, was a demonstration that it was the last days. Now, what's the significance of that? Have a look with me in verse 19. 17, sorry. 
In the last, uh, no, 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. With the coming of Christ, there had been God-given dreams at Jesus' birth, remember? At the death of Christ, the sun had gone dark for six hours. There had been signs on the earth below with Jesus' jaw-dropping miracles. And Jesus said that more cosmic events would be coming as the immediate prelude to the day of the Lord, that time when Jesus would return and judge his, judge his enemies, save his people once and for all. When was this going to happen? In the last days, the Spirit was going to be poured out. So the last, when, are, when are the last days? Have a look at this next diagram. So between the first coming of Christ and the sec second coming of Christ is the overlap of the ages. They are the last days. We are in the last days. We are in the last days. And G Joel says this is when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. So the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost was the proof that the last days had arrived. The coming of the Spirit was a demonstration that God's consummation of history had begun. You and I, we are in the last days. Time is linear. A lot of philosophies say that time is circular. There's, time is linear and it's coming to an end and you and I are part of it. And the proof of that is the coming of the Spirit. Now the prophet Joel did not indicate the length of time between the outpouring of God's Spirit and the outpouring of God's judgment. But the outpouring of God's Spirit is the proof, the demonstration, that that day is going to happen. We are in the last days. Judgment will come. We're in the last days. So now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of salvation for our world. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is the significance. That's why evangelism is so urgent. These are the last days. Judgment is coming. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, when Joel prophesied hundreds of years before, the, the Israelites had been scattered by their enemies in judgment. Right? And they had been forced to learn the languages of their captors. But now everything has been reversed. Because now they are hearing in the languages of their captors the words of salvation. Everything has been reversed because these are the last days. Salvation has arrived. So that's the first explanation. The last days have begun. The second explanation from Peter, he says, King Jesus has been enthroned. That's why the Spirit has come. Have a look with me in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Here. So the enthronement of Jesus and the pouring out of the Spirit are directly related. What the crowd can see and hear is a demonstration that Jesus has been enthroned in heaven. Because as the one who dispenses the Spirit, 
Jesus was now acting with the Father, sharing in his heavenly rule. So the coming of the Spirit is a demonstration of Christ's present power and glory. The central figure of the new age is not the Spirit who is sent, but it is the Christ who sends the Spirit. And if you read Peter's sermon, you keep reading it, the content and the purpose of Peter's sermon is not to talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not to talk about speaking in tongues, it's about the reign of Jesus as Lord and Christ. Have a look at what he says in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, what's the explanation from Peter of these strange things that are happening? The last days have begun. Judgment is coming, so call on the name of the Lord. And this is urgent, because it's the last days. It's not the penultimate days, it's the last days. And the second explanation is King Jesus has been enthroned. Because the Spirit can't come until Jesus has been enthroned. Finally, Pentecost, the effect. What is the effect for you and for me in our lives? Even some 2,000 years after the event. Well, when the crowd heard what Peter had to say, what happened? They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. They they were conscience-stricken. Because if Jesus was indeed the Messiah, then no guilt could be greater than the guilt of treating Jesus the way that he had been treated. No wonder they ask, next slide, brothers, what shall we do? And what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus is Lord and King, then there's only one right response. And that is to leave your old allegiances to whatever they might be and give your full allegiance to Jesus. That is the only right response. And to re- it means to repent and then to be baptized, which is the symbolism of that. Because when you go down in the water, you're dying to your old life. It symbolizes dying to your old allegiances, your old life, coming up out of the water to new life and new allegiances. But why the speaking in tongues? Why the speaking in tongues? Well, a group of uh, Christians called the Pentecostals, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, they say that the disciples speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost, it should be the norm for all Christians. They say that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit, and those who don't speak in tongues, they say, have not been baptised with the Holy Spirit, and so they are living a second-rate Christian life. Anyone like getting told you're living a second-rate Christian life? No. What do we make of that? Well, I think this goes against what it actually says in the text itself, don't you? Because the apostles, they speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit falls, falls upon them. But there's no mention of any speaking in tongues, no mention of any supernatural signs when the 3,000 are converted. In fact, there are only two other instances where conversions are accompanied by speaking in tongues in the whole of the book of Acts. 
It's far from a uniform experience, and the rest of the New Testament, as you read through it, doesn't prescribe it as a uniform experience either. In Acts, it appears to me that tongues occur at times when the gospel and the spirit go to, uh, to new places. They go fresh to new places. And it's as if the, the speaking in tongues and the praising God testifies to and authenticates the truth of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians, which we're going to look at next time, Paul says that tongues is given as a gift to some Christians, but not all. Baptism in the Spirit occurs at the time of conversion. It's not a second experience. Every person who is converted has experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've had the Holy Spirit being poured into you. So every Christian has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The consistent effect of people being baptized in the Spirit is not that they talk in tongues, is that they are cut to the heart and that, they are, and that they repent. The staggering response to Peter's speech and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what? Is that 3,000 people repented and were baptized. 3,000 people. At the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, at the first Pentecost, can anyone remember what happened to 3,000 people? They died because of their disobedience. But at this Pentecost, 3,000 people come to life because of the Spirit. More repented and followed Jesus in one day here than during the whole of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus had said to his disciples that they would perform greater works than his when he leaves and departs. Why? Because then the coming of the Spirit would, would, would happen. And now that's exactly what was happening. The Spirit was here. Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished salvation. The Spirit applies salvation. So you and I, we are not deists. Deists accept the existence of God who created the world, but they say that God is not involved in the running of our world. He just stands back. He's not involved. No, we are not deists because our God is not distant. Our God is not inactive. Christ is the enthroned King of Heaven who has poured out His Spirit in every one of you if you are a believer. And He hasn't poured out a, a, a shower. He hasn't poured out a drizzle. He's poured out an unprecedented deluge. The Holy Spirit is not some vague, soft wind. The Holy Spirit is God's stormy ruach, his overwhelming, his irresistible power, and he lives in you. The same spirit who came upon the apostles and turned the world upside down by them preaching the gospel lives in you and he lives in me. The same stormy, disturbing, overwhelming, dynamic ruach of God. And some of us need to let him overwhelm us. Some of us, we're in an age when he needs to overwhelm us because we are in the last days. We, we need for him to overwhelm us and give us the power to speak the name of Jesus. We need his power to overcome the enemy, to overcome sin. We need to allow him to dwell in, to, not to dwell in us, but to live in us and to, 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 to pour out of us into the world to change us. 
We need his power to speak the truth of Jesus. We need his power to overcome the enemy. What effect is he having in your life right now? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the day of Pentecost. We thank you that you are doing something completely new, pouring out your spirit. It wasn't a shower, it wasn't a drizzle. It was a deluge, Lord, and we thank you that your spirit filled the disciples and it has filled your people ever since. And as a result, you have emboldened your disciples to go to the ends of the earth and speak the name of Jesus. And as a result, we here today in Perth, the opposite side of the planet to Jerusalem, we have heard the gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that we would allow your stormy, disturbing ruach to overwhelm us, to give us the power to speak your truth, to give us the power to overcome the enemy, to overcome sin in our lives, that that power would do that in our lives. We thank you that with your spirit comes life. And I pray that you would fill this church, this this body of Christ with your powerful, dynamic, overwhelming ruach, your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we would see his effect in our lives in a dramatic way. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.